This is the Ag Queen Podcast. This podcast explores the agriculture industry with the movers and shakers of those shaping it. Here's your host, Lori Boyer. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the show here today. I introduce my guest. I'm glad to have her on. It's Kelsey Patton. She is the owner of a business called The Fiber Mill. And I'm glad to have you on here, Kelsey, to tell me more, not only about your business and the fiber that you produce, but this industry in general, I think will be a really interesting conversation for us as well. So let's start off by talking a little bit about you. Tell me a little bit about yourself and your background. I am from a little town in Nebraska called Stromsburg, and I have always been interested in things that are all about the process, um, making things, doing things with my hand, creating things. And I, when I was 13 years old, I told my mom that I wanted to knit a sweater, but first we had to get some sheep. And at that point, I did not know how to knit. I only knew how to crochet and so actually we got sheep and my mom found someone to teach me how to knit. And um, here we are almost 20 years later, we still have sheep and I have a fiber mill. What made you decide to go that big to really get go from just wanting to learn how to knit to now you're actually creating yarn and we'll be talking about that process as well. Well, what first got me started was I, I was getting a dual major in history and medieval and Renaissance studies and a specialization in historical clothing design. And I was also in the very unique position for someone graduating in 2011 of graduating with no student loan debt. So I was accepted to graduate school at the University of Michigan at Kalamazoo. And I took a good hard look at that. And I said, you know, I'm in a position that no one else really is in right now. I had gotten a lot of scholarships. I'm if I go to graduate school, then I'll get debt and then I'll have to do more graduate school beyond that master's program. And do I really want to do that and take that all on? Or I can do something different. And I decided to open my own yarn shop. And in April of 2011, I bought a website and got one set up and got some inventory and actually had boxes of inventory under my dorm bed and started Spindle, Shuttle, and Needle, which was my yarn shop, um, 11 years old now. And it went from there. And it was a really good, successful business, but it wasn't extremely lucrative. And so there came a point about five, six years ago when I looked at things, I said, well, you know, this is good. And this is paying for some of our bills as family and stuff like that. But I can never retire on this. And so I'd always had the idea in the back of my head of maybe starting a wool mill myself. So I started really doing the research with that and working with the Nebraska Business Development Center and REAP and other programs like that. And then um, four years into that process and after a lot of no's from banks, I finally got my equipment in August of 2020. I'm curious, how big of a market and how big of a, I, I don't know if hobby is the right word, but... How big is, are people really still into knitting and crocheting nowadays? Yes, they are. And if anything, it actually exploded during the pandemic because people were at home and they were wanting to pick up new hobbies that they could do in the comfort and safety of their own home. So there was a time early on in the lockdowns where I absolutely could not keep knitting needles in stock because as soon as I would get them in stock, they would sell out. 
again online. So there's that, there's the stereotype that knitting is for old grannies, but really you're seeing a lot of young people like me knitting and making um, really fabulous modern fashion pieces and scarves and hats and sweaters and tunics and things like that. There's some really hip designers out there. It's really been a growing industry. Hand dyeing is just an amazing market to all the indie dyers who dye special yarns for, you know, their special colorways. And it sells like within minutes of them putting the updates on their online shops. So it's always a lot of people are very surprised when they hear that the industry is so big. But I mean, I've certainly kept a yarn shop going for 11 years. so. There is a market for this yarn. And then tying it into the um, fiber mill and our what we do here with processing wool into yarn for people, you're seeing or we are seeing quite an interest in people getting things made from their own animals and the fiber shed movement and keeping things local, you know, so if they can their own wool processed into yarn and then sell that at farmer's markets, people really like a local product. And it's also natural and possibly organic, you know, depending on how their sheep or animals are raised. And it's, you know, there's that purity that people really like. Yeah, that's a good point. Something I hadn't thought about the latter part of that. Very interesting. Let's talk about now how it how it works. So you're, tell me about the fiber mill itself and kind of give us a an overall of, of how we start and how it ends with your product. Well, if someone wants to have their wool processed, because we are a mostly a custom mill, mostly people bring us their fleeces and tell us what they want their end product to be, and we do that. There's a certain amount that we buy and turn into our own products to sell in the shop to people who come for tours or things like that. But mostly it's the custom stuff. So people bring us their fleeces and anything from single kitchen trash bags to giant burlap wool bags that you could fit four of me in. And they fill out an order form and they tell us what exactly they want done with their wool that they've brought in. And then when their turn comes up for us to process it, we um, take it through a number of steps the first step is we have to skirt it. We have to sort through and make sure that we get rid of anything that is hard or might damage our equipment. So dung tags, bits of hooves, bits of horns, things like that. Um, we've also found other interesting things like tinsel or fake greenery or sticks or even once a petrified toad in these unsorted pieces. <laughs> so interesting. Um, yeah, so we find all sorts of things um, when we're sorting out the fleeces, and then we have to wash them. And we have um, a big old cast iron bathtub and several laundry sinks that we soak the fleeces in, and we soak with detergent a couple of times, and then a couple of times in just plain water to rinse, and then we spin them out and dry them. And usually the fleeces are very clean by the end of this process. Then the next step is the picker, which is a machine with a spinning drum and very sharp teeth that fluffs up the fiber um, after getting kind of matted in the wash. And it opens it and gets it ready for the next step. Um, if we're processing fleece from an animal like an alpaca, a llama, muskox, bison, something like that that has guard hairs, it then goes through our dehairer to have those hairs removed. So we have just the nice down. And then all fibers, either after the picker or after the dehairer, 
go through the carter, which is our biggest and oldest working piece of equipment. It was made in 1929 by Sacco Lowell in Lowell, Massachusetts. It weighs three tons. And this machine combs our wool and gets all the fibers kind of organized and either ready to be turned into felt or into yarn. If you're turning things into felt, then they go straight from the carter to the felting machine and get run through two or three times to make a nice dirty sheet of felt. Or if we're making a quilt bat, we run it through just once, just to stabilize the fibers. Um, if we're making yarn, it goes off the carter through what we call the roving attachment, which makes a big, long, continuous strip of combed wool, which then goes through the pin drafter, which drafts out the wool and further combs it and gets it smoother. And then it goes through the spinning frame to be spun into what we call singles, which is a single strand of yarn. But that has a lot of energy and likes to kink up and twist up on itself. So then you send two or three strands of singles through the plying frame to make your finished plied yarn. And then the final step, we either take it to the skein winder or the cone winder to be wound off into the put up that the customer wants. That is quite the process. Now, I knew most of those terminology because I come from a family that does quilting and crocheting and knitting mm -hmm. as well. But I think most people would know what a skein of yarn looks like. You go to yeah. your box stores and you're going to see a little bit of that in a craft aisle. Oh, yeah. When you put it in there, is it done on a pound per pound basis? And how many skeins would you get out of one run? Can you give me an average on that? Just so oh. we can kind of have a perspective on how much yarn is coming out. It varies, of course, and that's not going to be very helpful. Um, the Let's say you have an average size fleece from like a Columbia sheep, which is going to be about eight pounds once it's skirted. Okay. So you will lose between 40 and 50% of the weight of that fleece to the wash with the grease and the dirt and stuff that the wool picks up and the grease that comes from the sheep, the lanolin. So... Then once it's done washing, you'll have, let's just say 50% to make it easy. So you'll have four pounds of clean wool. By the time that it goes through the next few steps and is made into yarn, you're going to have 15 to 16 skeins of finished yarn. That is helpful. I think that gives us yeah. a visual and kind of gives us an idea. And you mentioned the coloring process. Do you color there as well for your customers? Yes, I do. Not every customer wants me to dye their finished yarn. In fact, most do not. But I do dye some for some people who want it. Um, actually, in my dye pots right now, I've got a couple batches of yellow and kind of a lavender going. Kelsey, sometimes when we think about wool, we think about itchiness. Is this itchy? Sometimes wool people find wool to be very itchy because of the old process of wool cleaning which it was called carbonization, where you would actually wash the wool in a very, very acidic bath. I believe it was very acidic. And that would eat away the um, vegetable matter left in it, the hay, the grass seeds, stuff like that. And then it would be put into a neutralizing bath. But of course, that would make the wool fibers themselves brittle so they were more prone to breakage and making things very itchy and scratchy. So most mills do not use a carbonization process anymore because of that reason. Um, and it was 
usually on the lower grades of wool. So the really cheap sweaters or the really cheap army blankets. Does your mill run year round? Yes, we do run year round. We are busiest in the spring after the spring shearing, but we do run all year. And do you still stock? Well, I guess you do because you said you sold out of needles, but you stock mm-hmm. supplies that people would need. Create. <laughs> yeah. my I still have the storefront in the front of the building where the mill is. And we have a vast selection, not only of yarns that we've made ourselves, but commercial yarns from other companies that people can purchase and knitting needles and crochet hooks and um, little bottles of wool wash and things like that. How many people do you need to run the mill at any given time? Right now, I have two employees, but I would really like to have a third. And then I assume you you will sh- have people ship in their wool and then mm-hmm. ship it back because not everybody's going to be that local to you, right? No. Yes, I have a lot of people ship things. Um, right now, for things that are actively going through our equipment, because we have different things in different stages throughout the building, um, we have bison from up by Niobrara, Nebraska, which was actually flown in. I had to go meet them at the airport, um, the little regional airport just south of us. Um, we have some merino wool from a farm in Oregon, and we have kiviet from a lady up in Alaska. And those were both mailed to us. Okay. What would you say is the most challenging part about what you do? I would say probably the most challenging part right now is keeping the workflow consistent. So mm-hmm. I like to have different products going through at the same time because then they can go through different equipment and keep all the pieces of equipment busy. So looking at the orders that are coming up from that people have sent their wool in and then fi- mentally figuring out, okay, I need to start this one and I need to start this one two days later and, you know, getting those things, you know, getting things washed in the right order so that um, all the equipment is busy. That is kind of challenging. And then, you know, when done right, or if you try to do that, then you have more, you have faster turnover for everyone. So all your customers are happier, but it still is, it's a little bit of a dance. Yeah. I could certainly understand that kind of the logistics and planning behind Mm -hmm. your what you're trying to do in keeping everyone happy. Is it tough to find parts and is it tough to keep up on the maintenance of the mill? Yes and no. Um, Some of our equipment is relatively new. The spinning frame, the plying frame, and the felter and the picker, they are all made relatively recently. They were made in 2007. And you can still very easily get parts, new made parts for them. So those have been pretty easy, although since you, I don't exactly have like exact price lists or order history for those parts. When I've needed parts, it's been, we'll send a sample into the company and then they'll say, oh, wait, it's actually this one. And then they'll send me the right thing. And then we know for the future. But there's been a bit of that. With the Carter, we haven't, that machine has needed the most maintenance over the time that we've had it here. And that is partially just because it is the oldest machine and it is also the biggest and it needs to be absolutely exactly level to run. And because it's big and it vibrates a lot, we do need to relevel it periodically. That one you can get parts from. There's a company or for there's a company in South Carolina called Allstate's Textile Supplies where you can they get used old equipment in and rob parts off for people who are still using 
um, those pieces. So you can get the parts. So far, I haven't needed to order any parts for that machine, though. I've only had to just do a lot of adjustments. And it is a big enough machine, you have to climb up on top of it to do a lot of those adjustments and sit up on top of it, which is quite entertaining. <laughs> Oftentimes in the ag industry, the the products that come out um, that are consumable, non-consumable need some sort of um, accountability or regulated or inspected or something like that. Do you have any of that on what you're doing as far as producing wool or producing yarns, any of your end products? I do not specifically have any of that. We just have a lot of internal checks and things that we do to make sure that each customer is getting their own wool back. And, you know, we label everything three times. We have travelers that go with every batch so that we always know which customer this belongs to and what they want done to it. Um, for our own products, there are certifications with like Woolmark and other organizations to certify that we are actual wool and not acrylic posing oh. as wool or something like that. I have not gone through any of those yet, but it is in in the planning process that it's going to happen. Yeah, I wouldn't have thought about that, but that does make sense. Yes. Okay. Mm -hmm. All right. Anything else that I haven't asked you about or any other common questions or, or things that people bring up to you to mention today? One of the things that comes up all the time with people who are touring the mill that is always just super fun is people never realize how many different breeds of sheep there are in the world. I mean, we get so many different and rare breeds come through the mill because a lot of the people who send their stuff to a small mill like us are the people who have small heritage flocks or, you know, small acreages and they have eight sheep and three different breeds of sheep because they just want the different kinds of fiber. So people are always just astonished at how many different breeds there are and how their wool varies and differs so much from breed to breed. And every breed, like a lot of people say, oh, well, I've got Suffolk sheep. So I've got trash wool. And it's like, well, not necessarily. No, your wool isn't the right wool for sweaters, but you know, it's fantastic for quilt bats. Hmm. And so my mom always says there's a breed for every need. There are some sheep that have rug wool and there's some sheep who have next to the skin underwear wool. And there's some sheep who have really springy wool that's good for quilt bats and pillows. And there's some sheep who have really silky wool that makes just gorgeous drapey shawls. So, you know, if you've been thinking that your sheep are, your sheep's wool is worthless, well, maybe you're not looking at the right end purpose for it. And then that being said, if somebody was interested, say they're listening and they're like, oh yeah, I could do that. Like how many sheep would they need to bring enough wool to you to actually have something done and make something out of it? We will do as little as one single fleece, as long as it weighs more than two pounds. There are indeed some sheep that have fleeces that weigh under two pounds. Um, if you bring us under 10 pounds, we do have an extra $2 per pound fee for setup on a small batch. Okay. But most sheep have a seven pound fleece. So, you know, if you brought in two fleeces, you'd be over that minimum easily. And we can turn it into almost any kind of yarn or roving or felt or 
quilt bats or what have you. Very interesting. I appreciate you very much for visiting with me today. I learned a lot today. This was very fun, kind of different than some of the interviews I've done here before. But I, when I read your article, I thought, boy, this is fascinating. And I knew that if I learned a lot, everyone else will too. And just the fact of how you've grown and where your journey's been. Any other goals you have for your business at this point in time? Well, ideally, I would like to sometime in the next five years, once I get all my equipment paid off, I would like to expand my building. I would like to double the size of the building if possible and build a special room in the new addition for the Carter that has a pit for maintenance under the Carter. And then the space that the Carter takes up would be expanded for expanded washing. And I would like to get more spinning frames and a sock knitting machine and a hat knitting machine. And just there's lots of machines I want. Very ambitious. I love it. I love it. What's your website? Um, My website is thefibermill.com. Kelsey Patton, she's owner of the Fiber Mill located in Nebraska. Thank you so much for joining me. A very, very fun conversation. I'm glad to know you. All right. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to this edition of the Ag Queen podcast with your host, Lori Boyer.